Superman and Arion, Lord of Atlantis. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Clinton Robison. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and Arion, Lord of Atlantis, from DC Comics presents number 75, cover dated November of 1984. And Clinton, are you a big team-up fan? Uh, overall, I'd say yeah. I mean, anytime I can get two superheroes for the price of one, I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah, that's really how I started collecting American comics, I think. But DC Comics Presents and Marvel Team-Up, and I just, I just wanted to know the most I could about these superhero universes. Aside from team books, a team-up book was a good place to start. Was that also part of your uh, early comic book buying? Not necessarily of the buying, but uh, yeah, some of my earliest comics were team books and team-ups, things that I got as uh, hand-me-downs from my cousin. Useful cousins. Uh, well, in each episode of FW Team-Up, uh, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Clinton, who is your guy? Uh, as much as I love Superman, I'm going to have to go with Arion. Sure, I'll take Superman. Uh, I'm used to it. And as is customary, we'll preface with a reason or reasons why we like the guest character. So, Clinton, what do you like about Arion, Lord of Atlantis? Well, uh, DC Comics Presents number 75 was actually one of my first comics that I ever got. And believe me, it was a very worn copy. And it is part of that uh, hand-me-down set from my cousin. I mean, I've always had pretty much a soft spot for Arion. I just kind of assumed he was you know, a B-level character behind Superman. But as far as what do I like about him specifically, well, I mean, he's a sword and sorcery character from ancient Atlantis who fights otherworldly demons, so it's perfectly within my wheelhouse. And I've got a little bit of uh, appreciation for his no-nonsense attitude. Plus, the dude helped stop the Ice Age from overtaking Atlantis. I'd say he earned a little respect. <laughs> yeah, it is mentioned in this issue. I wasn't aware of that of that story. I, I Maybe I have an issue of, of Arion that I got in, like, in a flea market or something. But I, I just wasn't getting into all that sword and sorcery stuff in the from the early 80s for some reason. And I don't know why, because I, I read a lot of sword and sorcery novels. So I don't know. But... Was that an interest of yours from uh, from earlier on? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I grew up on Masters of the Universe, so it was pretty well ingrained in me from basically the time I could remember. Yeah, I collected those toys and everything, and yet I, I couldn't get into a, a proper sword and sorcery comic at the time. I don't know what... Uh, why it didn't speak to me. For me, like I said, I haven't read a lot of Aryan stories, but my first Justice League of America story was the one where his brother Garndanut survives to our times and sends elementals out to fight uh, the League. It's a case of uh, Paul Kupperberg playing with his toys in an unconventional way. So the world of ancient Atlantis is part of my comic book reading roots, even if I've never picked up uh, Lord of Atlantis itself. Well, see, I didn't even realize that Garndanut had survived up until that point so yeah he looks like an aged crone uh and uh, i know that rob kelly uh, here on my network is uh that was also one of his first if not his first justice league of america comic so it, it's precious to us both uh and i know we've spoken about it before but uh yeah and i i had no idea who this guy was to me it was like just a random one-off wizard and then you know when who's who came out i realized 
they were one in the same, although they didn't look alike, of course, because of the you know, the age difference. It's, all, it's only like 45,000 <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, Superman needs no introduction, I don't think. But let's talk about Arion's publication history. Um, would you do the honors since you're, you're more of an expert than I am? <laughs> okay, well, I'll try and keep it brief. But, you know, considering he's just such a short-lived character. But uh, Arion's had quite a bit of history, actually. Arion is the creation of writer Paul Kupperberg and artist Jen Dracema. Arion first appeared in backup stories in Warlord in 1982, starting with issue number 55, continuing until issue number 62. He then spun off into his own 35-issue series that concluded with an Arion special in 1985. Arion also played a small part in Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm sure most people know him from there. After which, he was virtually forgotten from DC continuity, except for one minor exception. That is, until Paul Kupperberg revived the character as Arion the Immortal in a limited series, you know, under the same name, Arion the Immortal, in which it's revealed Arion, Kaon, and a few others had survived up into the 20th century, although they had lost their connection to their traditional magics. From there, Arion made a few scattered appearances in the 90s version of Showcase and the post-Zero Hour Justice League. In the 2000s, Kurt Busiek, well, he kind of used Arion from the 1600s, not Arion in the present day, even though he traveled to the present day. Anyway, he used Arion as an antagonist to Superman during the Camelot Falls storyline. More recently, Arion has appeared in the New 52 era in a, a cameo in Secret Six, and in the Rebirth era, Arion has been mentioned by Aquaman as having been a legendary Atlantean hero, but appearances in Blue Beetle conflict with this, painting Arion to have been a once great sorcerer king who was corrupted by the Blue Beetle Scarab. Okay, so the jury's out. <laughs> oh man, DC continuity, what are you doing? But at least Arion's in there, and it could potentially, eventually lead to, to more stories uh, from this character. Uh, do you like the latter era like from immortal on or is your fandom strictly from the the, the first series i like you know area on the immortal but i mean as far as having to pick one overall i'm gonna have to go with the original incarnation sure but i mean the, as far as like the other takes on the character the one thing that has held true over the years is that Arion is on Arion's team. <laughs> but at least he's got people on his team. <laughs> he's yes. captain of the team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's look at this issue and we'll see how he does in a uh, you know, in, in a superhero setting actually. It's called Partners in Time by writer Paul Kupperberg. He's 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 the one on his own character and artist Tom Mandrake and it goes a little like this. A NASA radar station in Australia picks up a strange meteor hurtling towards Earth, towards Metropolis, home of Superman. The Man of Steel goes out to meet it and is surprised to find his sensory powers can't peer through it. He tries to stop it with his body, but it avoids him. It slows down and makes touchdown in a public park where... Arion leaps from his landing spot, swearing to cut down Falcon. However, it doesn't take long for Arion to realize that he is no longer where he once was. Believing it all to merely be an illusion or trick by Kaon, Arion seeks to make some sense of the world he is now in. He lashes out at what he thinks is a creature in service to Kaon, who just so happens to be Superman. Arion's sword hilt rings Superman's bell just enough to knock the Kryptonian down, 
and allow Arion to vault right in front of a city bus. Superman picks up the strange swordsman and flies him out of traffic. As best he can, he tries to calm him down with his tone of voice, and while he doesn't recognize the language, it sounds a lot like Aquaman's Atlanteans, if more archaic. He tries a phrase or two from the tourist guidebook, but that's all he can manage. Reaching for a street vendor's jewelry, Arion quickly summons forth enough magic energy to enchant two gold earrings. He offers one to Superman and affixes the other to his own ear. This will allow them to communicate with each other, at least as well as any characters in an episode of Star Trek. Arion is naturally curious and semi-furious, demanding answers to where he is and what manner of creatures he has encountered. Soups tells our dashing Atlantean that it is Earth, 1984 AD, which means almost nothing to Arion. The street vendor demands payment for his earrings, to which point Arion transmutes a don't sue us for copyright infringement Pepsi can into gold. Now that they can understand each other, Superman and Arion fly off again and introduce themselves. But what is Arion doing in the 20th century? Arion recounts how he and his companions had gone into battle with the monstrous godlike Kaon, a perpetual foe to Arion. Kaon managed to get the better of the group, and in traditional villain fashion, laid out his plans to unleash darkness and chaos upon the world at the upcoming lunar eclipse. To prevent any interference from Arion, Kaon cast our hero out into infinity, where he managed to land in Metropolis. Superman wraps Arion in his cape and starts flying around the Earth at incredible speeds, breaking the time barrier. But... Kaon sees them coming and sends demons to greet them in the time stream itself. Ill-equipped to fight them, the heroes turn back and return to contemporary Metropolis. They hide out in Clark Kent's apartment, where Arion is confounded by television. Arion suggests that there is a chance something in Atlantis might be helpful, though Superman tells him to brace for the worst. Arion naturally freaks about seeing his once-fabled and glorious city lying in ruins on the ocean floor. Though he does take solace in the fact that people did survive, and Atlanteans exist in the modern era. Magic spells have kept Arion's sanctuary dry and full of air despite being under the sea. Arion retrieves his final crystal shard in which his father-slash-teacher, Kakula, has stored a portion of his soul. With his last act, Kakula huh, uses his own remaining energies to recharge Arion's magic in what appears to be a very painful fashion. While Arion prepares his spell, Superman tackles the demons. His powers are useless against the magical creatures that have come in, but his fists, even at human levels, keep the monsters at bay, and he can still use his flight to gain the higher ground and throw them into one another. His spell finished, Arion urges the Man of Steel through the portal into Dark World, into the past, back to Atlantis, though he does ponder why Superman won't won't simply use his magnificent power to slay the demons rather than incapacitate them. Noble, but not very practical, he muses. Appearing just as the eclipse is beginning, Arion shoots Kaon in the back with a magical blast. All's fair in love and war, eh? While he's momentarily distracted, Arion continues to pour on the magical blast. Figuring that Yon Pentacle is Kaon's focal point, Superman places himself between it and the bright eclipsing moonbeam coming down. The interrupted circuit banishes Kaon, and when the cosmic forces at play overwhelm the Man of Steel's power, he's sent back through the portal, 450 centuries into the future. What a trip. But the real question is, is he going to keep the hip earring? <laughs> so, Clinton, in general, what did you think of this story? How was, you know, your hero treated? 
uh, in this issue. <laughs> oh, I love this story. I've, I mean, I've always loved this story, but even reading it now, it, it just always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, Kaon is a recurring threat in the series, right? Uh, but yes. So at first, when I read this, I thought there was, you know, there's a little recap because uh, we're in medias res where Arion shows up and then he has to fill us in on why and how he came to the 20th century. But that, those events don't happen in the series itself. It's not a recap or anything. Right, right. I mean, Kaon's been around since the Warlord backups. Okay. Although he looked quite different then. He just he still had the Medusa looking hair, but he was more human looking. Well, you'd expect a, you know, a guy called Kaon to have a chaotic <laughs> appearance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, purple skin, goat legs, you know, it's all good. The story's pretty good, although I I think the structure's a bit back and forth because, you know, they try to go back to the past and then they have to come back and then they go back to the past again, and by the time they they get to the final fight, it ends a bit abruptly. You know, there just isn't enough pages to to, to make that work necessarily uh, but uh, as far as the art goes I really dig the art I, obviously I'm a fan of Tom Mandrake's what do you think of Tom Mandrake as a stand-in for Jander Sema here in the long run I can't find anything to beat Jander Sema but Mandrake should know his way around the character he's inked Arion a few times and considering he's married to Jander Sema <laughs> you know he really should know her creation just a little bit I, I wonder what you know what what they were talking about at home you know when he got this <laughs> <laughs> this assignment, you know, it just seemed, or did he get the assignment because, you know, Jan went to bat for him? It's like, oh, well, I can't do two issues this month, but, you know, Tom's free. Uh, I wonder if that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> I'm sure it was something like that. I mean, Arion number 25 is on the stands the same month as DC Comics presents number 75. So I'm not sure if uh, Jan is still on the book at this point, but goodness knows she was busy in the 80s. So Yeah, I remember the... Uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons comic as well. So she was doing a lot of sword and sorcery. Uh, and Tom Mandrake is well suited to fantasy, I think. Uh, you know, he's, he's done a lot of horror and, uh, he's always a little, I don't know, when he's doing superheroes per se, I, I'm, I'm not always sure that's the best fit, but, uh, his, his tiny lines, there's a lot of tiny lines there that, that replace what would be deep shadows normally. And that gives it an illustrator's quality, uh, that I find common in, uh, you know, when you're looking at, I don't know, like Lord of the Rings art or something. I, I can agree with that. In the same way. In here, I think sometimes Superman's musculature is a little awkward, but all the fantasy stuff, Arion, the spells, the demons, the, the atmosphere, the sort of the smoky effects, I think, are very, very strong. So um, this isn't Tom Mandrake. He's not yet at the full height of his powers, I think, uh, which would be more like the, when he was doing the Spectre, that, that era. But um, quite strong. I think a lot of the, the reason I like this issue is is the art. So what about, um, you know, Arion in the, <laughs> with superheroes? <laughs> How does that work for you? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Arion adjusts to the 1980s a whole lot faster than Conan does in... You know, a similar what-if issue. <laughs> but then again, you know, Arion's supposed to be you know, a master of all magic. So surely he's <laughs> encountered a whole lot stranger situations than watching Tom and Cherry cartoons. <laughs> no, it's true. That make, you make a good point because 
I mean, he's so powerful, uh, and he's seen everything as a magical effect. He doesn't need to know that what the, the way we're doing it is science. Well, plus, if you know, I know you're not overly familiar with Arion, mm-hmm. but if you've read the issues, they have pretty advanced technology. It's just powered by quote unquote magic. Right. If you'll notice uh, during Arion's recap, Chian blasts Arion with what looks like a laser gun. You know, it is an advanced society. You know, it's forty five thousand years ago, but. Atlantis itself has been, you know, the city st- stood there. That civilizations existed for thousands of years more. So of course they have high tech and high magic for them. But so ours just looks like, you know, boxier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess uh, they're a lot like um, Simonson's version of Asgard, without the you know strange technology so much, and just more of a sword and sorcery look. And there are some magical artifacts that he creates. I mean, he's he's powerful enough to create magic items. You know, as opposed to just that, that, that's something I really liked, as opposed to just doing a translation spell, which would be the normal, the ordinary way to do it. You know, Zatanna mm-hmm. says, uh, you know, in reverse speak, we understand each other, you know, something like that. Instead, he has to take earrings, he, he magics them, he puts a, a Dweomer on them, and that leads to like a, a fun punchline at the end as well with, with uh, mm-hmm. Superman having a clip on earring there at the end for citizens of Metropolis to see. But, but that's an interesting take on magic. It's not just simply casting the spell and it's done. You know, there's more to it. Well, it's not just that. Uh, you know, Arion mentions holding back the Ice Age. In the main continuity, that drains his magic for a time. He, you know, he actually has to be taught how to defend himself with a sword. So he, you know, he's been relying on his magic the whole time. He really needs to learn how to fight with a sword. In other words, this is like a trick that he has to do because if he were at full power, then bam, translation. But right. he has to he has to do it in other ways, to, you know, cheaper ways or that don't drain his, his magic so much. Yeah, OK, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Like in RPG terms, he's down to his cantrips. He can't even do <laughs> like first level spells. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Because he has to be given extra magical energy by his dad uh, in this, which gave me a real I mean, the whole issue gave me a, a sort of um, Richard Donner Superman feel. Because you, you've got Superman spinning around the Earth. Usually the art shows him just breaking the time barrier and it's like, you see like circles with dates on them. Uh, I guess so he knows when to come out. Uh, but, um, in this case, he's really spinning around the Earth a bit like he did, a lot like he did in the Superman movie. And then later, the whole, my dad's in the crystal and the crystals, you know, he's left messages and I can actually interact with an image of my father from a crystal is very much you know, the movie Jor-El. We shall try to find the answers together. <laughs> you know, so I had like this real, maybe those char- these characters are more similar in, in that it just makes Arion kind of Superman-like. He's the Superman of his day, you know, in a way. And so there's like these sort of references to it. Was it like that in the series? Were there crystals and like a, a magical dad? Oh, yeah, okay. it, it's exactly like that. And I mean, he really is the Superman of his day. He's the high mage of Atlantis. He's the one who protects the city against the submen. He's the one that goes out on adventures against all these crazy demon things. I mean, he's the guy. He just has a sword and sorcery attitude about, uh, if you're in my way, I'm going to fight you to the death, period. There you go. And, and his, and I mean, he's using his sword in the way that uh, a lot of 80s comics were using swords. Uh, which is a flat of the blade, you know, and just hit the hilt with. The- mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's taking uh, he's taking tips from Katana over in Outsiders, 
Uh, whereas <laughs> she was never, well, I guess if she killed someone with the sword, it ate up the soul and, you know, it was like a bad thing. But still, you, you creating characters that use swords and yet you can't show any blood and you can't show any slicing or dicing. All these sword wielding characters just sort of slap you around with the, the flat of the blade, uh, which was sort of a comic book trope and, in those days because of the comics code, perhaps. He does that here. Uh, not that we want, you know, him to, to stab Superman or anything. And now, who fared better? Our mini-debate touches several topics. People who listen to the show are used to them by now. Uh, so first is how well this fits each of their stories or atmospheres. Is this more of an Arion Lord of Atlantis story, or is it more of a Superman story? What do you think? Uh, I would have to say it's definitely Arion's story. Superman's pretty much the guest star here. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, it's his book, but... You know, this is clearly Arion's adventure. The, the book is called DC Comics Presents, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have Superman's always in it, but it doesn't have to be his book because it has that title. It's just, a, you know, it's a smart thing to say DC Comics Presents rather than Superman Team Up, because then you can actually lean into the other character's story. And in this case, you're right. I mean, Kaon is a Arion villain. We finally get to ancient Atlantis in this. We go to modern Atlantis in this. And it's about magic where Superman is really not really adept because that's one of his weaknesses. So I will give you the point on this one. It is an Arion story. Now what about cool moves? Who gets the coolest moves? What is Arion's coolest move in the book? Making translation earrings, turning Pepsi cans to gold. That's pretty cool. But I mean, I'm going to have to go with shooting Kaon in the back for superman well he's fighting demons without his powers i mean he has his powers but they don't really work so he's really just uh hoping that his fists can do some damage there and he goes you know they do your spell and i don't need any help and i'll take care of this and i think that shows a certain courage because superman is so invulnerable normally that in a situation where he really isn't invulnerable because of the magic weakness him jumping into the fray that way and taking on several opponents, I think, is a brave move and a cool move. What about dumb or weird moves? Does Arion commit any, uh, you know, make any mistakes in here? Oh, Arion's full of mistakes. His entire series is full of mistakes. <laughs> He's that character. Yes. It's not out of character for him, but I will say it's still a dumb move for him to just immediately be leaping around without even checking his surroundings. Oh, throwing himself in front of the bus, for example. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> Paul Kupperberg threw him under the bus there. Yeah. For Superman, I'm going to say the whole Netflix and chill moment. You know, let's go back to my apartment. You know, the first conversation is on top of a building. Fine. Then he brings him to Clark Kent's apartment. And I know, you know, you're quick to trust that this guy really is a wizard from ancient Atlantis. And so I guess it doesn't matter if I tell him my secret identity. And maybe Arion doesn't have the context for it anyway. But you're still bringing your guest star home, which I feel like is, is not necessary. <laughs> you know, why not go to the fortress or something? Uh, where there's much more to, there may be more things there to help. And then, you know, so that whole moment in the apartment, I thought was a little ropey. What are they doing there? Why is this happening? Why not just fly directly to ancient Atlantis instead of watching some TV? So if not dumb, it's at least weird. Yeah, it, it really does feel like it's there just to make the joke. And then there's like the friendly farewell. This is a, 
is a tradition. And this time it's a bit interrupted because Superman gets whisked away uh, as soon as, as possible. But how would you um, rate this one? Uh, are, are they leaving on good terms is basically the question. I mean, I would say yes, as far as like there's no beef between them or anything. But as quickly as they get separated and the fact that neither one of them is going to even remember this adventure. Yeah. Well, why is that? Arion mentions it. That, um, you know, what is this gibberish I'm speaking uh, as if, you know, what is this earring? And he's like sort of forgotten what's happened. Yeah, basically, since his spell was made in the 20th century and Superman's no longer there to be his connection to the 20th century, I would just say that was essentially what broke the spell. But, I mean, really, it was, can we say comic book science when it <laughs> comes to magic? <laughs> or comic book magic. Yeah, because they, they're not allowed to remember this adventure. So I, I have a feeling it's like Kupperberg doesn't really want Arion to remember this, doesn't really want to know what the future looks like, doesn't really want to address the fact in the main series that he knows that Atlantis will eventually fall or, you know, have any connection to, you know, the superhero world. So he'll never mention this again. Why? Well, because for whatever reason, whatever magical reason, Superman may remember it, I don't know, but they've forgotten this. It's a quirk of time travel, I guess. But it does mean that he can't say proper goodbyes, that they can't uh, meet again, or it doesn't It doesn't feel like they get to, to say goodbye at the end of this, which is always a bit disappointing for me. Uh, maybe because I, I have this particular category <laughs> uh, to talk about, but... It just doesn't happen here. You know, Superman does the right, the good thing. He went, helps win the day and then he's thrown back into the present and never to be remembered in ancient Atlantis. So there you go. We'll take a break for a couple of promos. We'll be back with our bonus team ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. Rocketed to the 20th century in a magical vessel when ancient Atlantis falls. Wait. This is the post-crisis Power Girl, isn't it? Yes, let's try that again. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. In the golden age of Krypton, only one Technomancer can be counted on to protect the planet from threats. Ariel, Lord of Kandor. But his friends, Loichian and Wind Olsen, do not know he is, in reality, lowly scribe Clarkula. Nor can they ever find out. Be there every month for the Technomancing Action. Can I get a tall chai? And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robison. And I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. 
We're back. Our final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Arion Lord of Atlantis team-up. So, Clinton, what have you narrowed it down to? <laughs> oh, gosh, narrowing it down. I mean, Arion is essentially somebody's favorite D&D character put on the page, right? So, if I stick with the version presented here, I'd picture him teamed up with other sword and sorcery characters like uh, Elric, you know? But then there's the 1990s version, Arion the Immortal, that would pretty much jive with John Constantine a little better. However, I will propose the Immortal Arion and Doctor Strange. Both characters are going through a bit of a change in the status quo during the early to mid-90s, so I think it would be kind of interesting to see the two playing off each other. Arion would clearly have no patience for Dormammu's crap, and I could really see him wooing Clea a bit. Hmm. Meanwhile, Strange could be fascinated with Atlantean technology, as well as Atlantean magic and artifacts. It could be as much an exchange of cultures and spells as it could be an adventure. Sure, sure. I mean, Elric is actually pretty perfect because he's also in the fight between Chaos and Order, so Chaos, Kaon. There, there's a relevant uh, interest there. But the one I went with is Conan. Um, and I probably should have said Elric, now that you, you mentioned it. But uh, to me, they <laughs> still seem pretty natural in terms of exploring ancient Earth before the fall of Atlantis. Uh, it might be particularly fun uh, in light of how many wizards Conan has had to put down over the years. Uh, so in the Grand Marvel tradition, he would probably fight Arion before teaming up with him. And maybe he never even stops mistrusting him, such as the you know the relationship with wizards in the Conan stories. Uh, maybe just like uh, Arion wooing Clea, here I'd have Conan put the moves on Lady Cheyenne, uh, or uh, maybe he ends up friends with Wind uh, over the course of things because they're they're very similar. So um, I, I went with Conan, but now that you've mentioned Elric, I thought, oh geez. Yeah, maybe I should have gone with Elric because he's more of a magic user, really. So <laughs> I, I feel like he might be part of Arion's world. It's, that that would seem to fit. Yeah, I'm just afraid they might be a little too similar. Sure, I guess, yeah. But that's often the, you know, team-ups seem more natural that way. The contrast with Conan would probably be you know, more initial conflict and uh, maybe be more interesting. And Hyboria and Atlantis of that time, it seems to be of the same world, that same ancient pre-antiquity world. So I went with that. Well, we're at the the end of the show here. So thanks for teaming up with me, Clinton. Uh, remind people uh, what you're working on right now at Coffee and Comics. Well, thanks for having me, Siskoid. Uh, over at Coffee and Comics, I do a little podcast where I look at comics generally in the span of time it takes to drink a cup of coffee, give or take. Not all of us take four hours. <laughs> Later, the, the coffee's just colder. It's uh, I can still drink it. <laughs> I often for, I often forget it, and I'm typing up stuff, and I'm, I'm forgetting that coffee and just becomes a nice coffee naturally. But that's not all I'm doing. Uh, I've also started up another show called Fan Film Fridays, and right. you can find it over on the Longbox Crusade Network. Right, a natural team-up, that one as well. <laughs> it's glad to have you on that network as well, because uh, I love all their stuff. So thanks again, Clinton. I'll uh, let you get back to the coffee shop, and I'll stick around for listener feedback. Uh, I'll be back just after this short break. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994. Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. 
Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. This is feedback on the previous episode in which I teamed up with Ashford Wright to do a sequel to our Birds of Prey coverage from last year, the Bad Girl Catwoman comic, in this case, the the sequel, Catwoman Oracle. Uh, Here's a sampling of your comments from the fireandwaterpodcast.com website. Eric MCI said, great show, but I swear every single time Siskoid says bad girl, it sounds like bad girl. Where's the T sound, man? Bad girl is a very different title. Uh, well, bad girl, bad girl, bad girl, bad girl. You know, you can't uh, argue with accents. If I said bad girl, you'd know because there's like a pause. Bad girl, bad girl, as opposed to bad girl. Mm, yeah, maybe it's a little uh, subtle. Ange says, I didn't know about this sequel. Very glad you reviewed. I'm firmly on the side that Babs should have stayed Oracle and New 52 did the comic world an injustice by putting her back in the tights. And I love that Batman Confidential story you mentioned. Everybody should seek that out. Chris Franklin says the plot about the Catwoman potential sidekick gone bad reminds me of the Incrediboy syndrome from The Incredibles. But this comic came first. I totally missed both of these comics, even though I was buying Birds of Prey at the time, which is very out of character for me. Fun episode. I waffle on Babs going to Bad Girl, but the purest in me likes Bad Girl being Barbara Gordon, but there's no denying Oracle was the more compelling iteration, at least on the surface. And Tim Price says, always good to hear Siskoid and Ashford together. And you get that chance <laughs> almost weekly at Straight Out of Gallifrey. And an interesting comic to discuss. As a programmer myself, I have lots of thoughts on Oracle, especially in the how powerful she is front. But suffice to say, I still adore Babs taking on this role. This lets her grow into becoming one of the more important characters of the DC Universe in a way that wouldn't have happened as Bad Girl. Sure, that iteration is deservedly popular, and I loved it. But being a member, and I would argue a leader in the Justice League, that's not a Batgirl thing. It worked with Oracle. Ah, memories. Thank you, Tim. Uh, and, of course, you also can leave a message about this episode or any episode at fireandwaterpodcast.com or even on the uh, Fire and Water Facebook page or, if you like, on Twitter, the account is FW Podcasts. Speaking of that... The network has recently joined Patreon. There's more than a thousand episodes of shows on the network. The FW team up representing just a fraction of that, of course. But uh, if you like the show, if you like our content, uh, you might want to go over to Patreon and help us pay for the hosting fees for all these hundreds of episodes because we can no longer do it ourselves. Well, uh, it happens. Victims of our own success, I suppose. So think about making a one-time or a monthly donation Uh, That would be very helpful to us. And you could unlock some rewards, including getting special thanks and getting put on the brave and bold roll call. So in this case, the show could not be possible without my teaming up with Alan W. Wright. Thanks, Alan. You're brave and you're bold. Alan is, of course, joined by listeners like you. That's it for me. Thanks again to my guest, Clinton Robinson, because after all, justice is a team effort. Gentlemen, now we've all heard of the legend of Atlantis. Pure fantasy. 
well that is where you'd be wrong